0: Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know, sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today.
1: If everybody's coming to you and asking for for money all the time, first of all, you've got to learn to say no. You know, don't feel bad saying no and don't feel bad, you know, maybe helping a little bit. You know, if they're asking for X amount, say, I can give you this, you know, without giving them the full amount all the time. Otherwise, it will become. Yeah, and you see this a lot of time with, with you know celebrities. You'll see like their whole entourage thing. It's basically like a gravy chain. It's like, you know, you gotta you gotta put a some limits on there and control it to, before it gets out of hand because once you start getting that habit, then they're going to expect it all the time.
2: Welcome to the Share the Wealth Show, where minority professionals can learn to escape the racial wealth gap and catapult themselves into abundance. Your host, Nicole Pendergrass, grew her net worth from being negative to multiple six figures. Join her on her investigative mission to expose secret strategies of the wealthy so we can all have the tools needed to build the life and legacy we were created to possess.
3: Now it's time for the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Share the Wealth Show. This is the show where we discuss strategies on how to grow, build, and protect minority wealth. And today we're going to do something a little different. We actually have a ton of great episodes in our archives. Since the inception of the show, I had the pleasure of talking to so many phenomenal people and I want their information and the strategies and tips and mindset that they have to be shared with the world. And I don't want it to be buried in the past, right? So today is Flashback Friday Featured Edition. And I hope you enjoyed the message from one of our previous guests because it's really so impactful and you need to take a listen. We'll see you next time for our regularly scheduled episodes, but stay tuned for today. Hey, everyone. So today we actually speak with Don Spafford. He actually has an educational and professional background in finance and security investing. He wanted to be a personal financial representative and advisor, but he ended up doing that around the time when the crash happened in 2008. And so no one was hiring and he kind of had to pivot. He talks about his journey from being really poor and not having the money to kind of just sustain and and how he was considering bankruptcy quite a few times in his life and did have, had good credit because he kept paying the minimums and just making sure that he would pay those on time to not ruin his credit so he didn't want to file bankruptcy but it was like a serious consideration and how he started with going to a real estate conference how he didn't have the money to sign up in the back of the room, how he met somebody there, and how he slowly started to grow, how he learned about a 401k loan so that he could purchase a first property. And he started with a four-family house on the residential side that was like an hour away, and he would drive there and self-manage, and he kind of just pulled information from the free resources that he had available to him and built up. And then what did he do? He really networked. He networked his behind off for a long time and just like listening to podcasts. And then guess what? He would get the contact information at the end of the podcast and actually reach out to the person, which a lot of people don't do. And he would make connections that way. And then as he started meeting more people, he would make connections between them. If he saw opportunities, he would give them, to people who he knew would want those types of opportunities. And him just adding value to everybody else's life made people want to pull him into projects and investment opportunities. And that is a way to kind of hustle your way from having nothing to being able to be financially free enough or financially stable enough to help your family members. And we talked about mindset of that. Like, how do you help your family members and still be able to grow your resources and preserve them for your future generations. You can't give away all your money to the current family because you have nothing to leave to your heirs, but there's a fine balancing act. You don't want to just say no to everybody all the time, but Don talks about the art of saying no and learning how to do that, which is actually super critical. In any case, Don has some great insights and experiences through the story that he tells and through the conversation that we had. He lived in North Argentina for two years on a volunteer service mission. He always was about giving back. His wife is from South America and they give back in the South American community multiple times. They give back to Spanish communities in America in various ways as well. Like he just has this whole aura about him, about wanting to help people and wanting to give back. And so even with his growth and success now, he still involved himself in a company that has the the core mission of being able to create accredited investors from non-accredited investors. And there's a very unique way that he goes about that. And it's not your traditional multifamily investment type of situation. So in any case, you need to listen to the whole episode because we get to that part in the end. And I don't want you to miss anything because you really need to reach out to him and like he was doing to the other people on podcasts that he was listening to, to see what that next opportunity may be for you and maybe use his journey and story as a kind of roadmap to help you create your own journey for investing and building yourself up to that next level. Sometimes it just takes some grit, it takes some Knowing how to create value, connecting people. You don't always have to have a lot of money starting out. You can create something from nothing. And this is a perfect example of that. So in any case, enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone, welcome back again to another episode of the Share the Wealth Show. And I am your host, Nicole Pendergrass. And this is a show where we talk about how to build, grow, and protect minority wealth. And today we have with us, Mr. Don Spafford. Don, thank you so much for coming on today. Like, I really appreciate you being here. And I actually appreciate you even reaching out to me. You know what? I'm going to go to that part <laughs> later because I want to <laughs> just be transparent with the listeners that this might have not almost happened, but good thing that me and Don are cool. And I like Don, and he likes me, and we can have open conversations, Because if you are watching the video, Don is not a minority. And I was concerned a little bit about how you guys, my listeners, would receive him. But after we have actually been talking, we have so many commonalities with our mission. And there's some other things that I didn't know about Don that luckily, because we were able to have these conversations, I found out and I'm excited to dig in more actually about it because we just scratched the surface on our other conversation. But Don, I'm rambling already enough. (laughs) I gave a brief overview of your background and experience, but I want you to chime in, tell the listeners Kind of like a snapshot of what got you to where you are today, especially any kind of shifts, paradigm shifts, information that you didn't know, things that like kind of blew your mind and made you change directions. But how did you get where you are today?
1: Yeah, thanks, thanks for the intro, Nicole. And and, and yeah, I was hoping nobody had noticed that I'm not a minority, but <laughs> you pointed it out, so now now everyone knows. <laughs> so yeah, like, like I said, I, you know, you and I connected long ago, and, and it's been great watching your journey along the way as well. You know, seeing your your growth and everything you're doing. And so, yeah, for me, so boy, it's it, kind of hard to go, go back, I guess the mind shift, I guess the, the mind shift for me, I guess was maybe about really, I'd say about five, six years ago when I really got started with, with real estate investing prior to that, you know, I'd, I'd worked my whole life pretty much seeking like the traditional people are taught, you know, you get education, you get a job. Well, I got the education, but the jobs just weren't coming. There's more to it than just education, you know, so I kept, Adding more education and getting, you know, learning more about, in particular, investing, like finance and and investing in in stock market type stuff is what I was really my educational background. But, uh, you know, I had hopes to reach a certain level and, you know, be like a financial advisor, portfolio manager, something like that. You know, but then, of course, as everybody knows, the 2008 market crash, that affected pretty much every job related to that industry. So, you know, companies are going out of business. So, like, well, I can't get a job if there's no jobs we had. But and so along that, you know, I just kind of kept, you know, kept my nose to the grind. I guess had had the job that I had, and it's like, well, it's you know, good enough, I guess, and I just keep pushing forward with that and hope for the best. But uh, as my family continued to grow and our their, our needs grew, you know, medical expenses came up and things so they just kind of always continuously put us back into a hole, and I feel like you could never get out of. And I'm sure that's something that most of your listeners can, I'm sure, relate to that you know, have that debt they can never get out of. You know, and it got to the point where we were i'd say very close to to the verge of bankruptcy you know i, I had had thought about it several times I was like maybe we just file for bankruptcy i did not want to do that though i i cared about my my credit and everything i didn't want to have that more than anything it guess just more of a, a personal you know pride thing or something but uh, in, in doing that i was like there's got to be another way there's got to be another option rather than just you know getting a second or third job you know i don't don't want to work and be working 24 hours a day too And so, I think it was about maybe six years ago, I guess, or so, I saw a commercial on TV for one of those real estate guru seminars, you know, to to come and learn how to, you know, flip houses or something. I was like, "Eh, that sounds interesting. Let's go check it out, you know? So, my wife and I went to that just to see, you know, of course, they're great salesmen. The whole program sounded awesome. I was like, yeah, this is cool. But I knew that I couldn't afford it anyway. So, But it at least got me to the point of thinking more about something with real estate.
3: Listen, I know you've been digging in, studying everything you can, listening to all the podcasts, reading all the books, even going to meetups. You basically have a degree from YouTube University, right? but you still feel stuck. You don't know how to actually implement what you've learned. You're nervous about taking the next step. So I've decided to start the Microfamily Investing Accelerator. This is a mentorship program where I personally guide you through my five proprietary pillars. So you can learn how to buy your first commercial multifamily property and scale while not biting off more than you can chew by focusing on five to 20 units. That's what I call microfamily. And so you can also get hands-on guidance from an experienced microfamily investor who's been right where you are. And so you can also create the cash flow needed to give you freedom and options to build the abundant life that you were destined to live. So I'll be limiting the first cohort because they'll have direct access to me and I will be heavily invested in their success. If you're ready to grab 2023 by the horns, schedule a free discovery call with me today. The link is in the show notes. And now let's get back to the show.
1: And so I did not subscribe to their program, but at that meeting I met a guy there that was already doing some house flipping and stuff. And I asked him like, yeah, "How are you doing this? You know, where are you getting the money from and all that?" Uh, and he mentioned to me at that point, you know, Bigger Pockets, which I'd never heard of before that point. And so okay, that, that sounds interesting. Yeah, which I still did not know what Bigger Pockets was. That sounds like it's a you know a private lender site or something else. You know, so. <laughs> I came home and I looked it up and I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, they they got these podcasts and webinars and and their calculators to run some numbers on on, see if property is going to cash flow. And I like fell in love with that, like immediately. I'm like, this is amazing. And so I started getting my education really at that point, once I got into bigger pockets and started listening to the podcasts and the webinars and asking questions in the forums and just, you know, interacting with people to much more advanced than I was at that point, which I, I knew nothing. And so, yeah, with that, going back though, from our financial position, we were still I would say at that point, maybe about 50,000 in debt or something like that. It's not from having nice cars and, and you know, we don't drive new cars or anything, didn't have necessarily nice things. This is all just general, the slow debt that just builds up over time. You know, your medical expenses, even putting your groceries on your credit card because you have to. And, you know, these things just kind of over time build up. And so, you know, I was like, as much as I want to invest will in say, how can I? If I don't have, I have no savings. If We don't have, you know, a strong financial position. Uh, luckily, I still had a good credit because I was still paying my debts on time at least. But I found out again through through Bigger Pockets, kind of taught me about some creative financing methods that, you know, something I had never considered before. So since I'd I'd been working, you know, I, I started working when I was 14, obviously. So so I've been working since I was very young. But as soon as I was, you know, had a job where I was able to, I, I started contributing to my 401k. You now not necessarily a lot, usually I was just in the minimum to get the the maximum employer match, you know. And so over time, kind of somewhat built up, I realized that I can borrow from my 401k, and use that money for my down payment. So. That's what I plan to do. I I found also a local lender in my area, luckily that had a 10% down payment option for investment properties. So did not need 20, 25%, just 10%. So this was early 2017. We started looking for properties. We found one i actually found on on Craigslist of all things at that time. Yeah, a fourplex, you know, newer built. The numbers worked out great at at that point and met the 1% rule, which, you know, I can explain in a bit for listeners. But so the numbers worked. I was like, okay, this is great. This is going to be a good property to start with. You know, I can borrow... Money from my 401k. The 10% down payment makes it not that much. It was still a huge risk. If this blows up in our face, we're definitely just screwed. We will be forcing bankruptcy or something. But luckily, it all worked out. You know, it worked out better than I expected. And you know, and that was kind of the, the starting point of getting this momentum moving in the whole real estate investing, you know, aspect of our lives. Yeah, so that's that's, that's
3: crazy. And I was gonna say that's basically very similar to how I started. I started with a three family, although I didn't buy it as a full. out investment property because I did live there. So I did FHA with three and a half percent down. And I also, you know, borrowed from my 403B, not for the full amount, but just because I was short some and I realized I could borrow against it. And same, I was only contributing on my 403B up to the employer match because I didn't want to put all my money into, you know, the retirement accounts because I I knew there were other ways because I had started looking at real estate. So there's so much similarity in our startup stories. That's crazy. But a question I actually have is the 10% loan. And normally when I hear of a 10% loan available for like an investment property it's because they consider that your second home, but that can't apply when it's a four unit property. So what was that just like a whole different, I know there's a different market then. So maybe that's why they just had that product.
1: What do you think that yeah, was? Well, is not that available still today? It's available still today. Yeah. It's a local lender that does portfolio loans. So they allow up to a certain, I haven't checked them recently, but at that point you could do up to, I could be wrong on this. You get up to 12 loans then. I think it's, I want to say two at 10% and then 10 at 15% down. Something like that. So some mix of 10 and 15%. So, and yeah, they, they still have that program today. They did kind of cancel it for a bit during the COVID times, but they reinstated it about a year ago. And there's actually a couple other local lenders in my area that also do 10% down payments on investment properties. Yeah. And in most cases, again, it's an in-house portfolio loan. So there's no you know additional fees or PMI and that kind of stuff on it. And their interest rates are still within normal range of anything else out there. So that's yeah. it's a great option if you know if you have that option to get started with less money. You know, I still try to use them if I can. If, if I buy anything that's you know a residential property that would count for that.
3: Were you self-managing that first property?
1: Yeah. How far was it from where you actually lived? It's about a 45 minute drive. So I, I was, you know, initially trying to find something where I'm at and not, not having any luck. Did put a couple offers in a couple of properties, but didn't get accepted. And then started looking at, you know, the next two cities over. So we're kind of right, right between two college towns, basically. Mm-hmm. The one I actually found when I liked a lot was a five unit, but again, that was now a commercial loan and that required a much higher down payment, something I did not have enough for. And then the other one was on the other side and that was the four unit. So I could get the residential loan, 30 year fixed at, you know, 10% down and and again, it was yeah, it was 45 minutes away, which could be kind of a thing. But, but for me, I was like, okay, it's close enough that it's not too big of a deal that you know, if something goes wrong, I can still get down there. And I did want to self-manage it from the start. One, to save on that cost of <laughs> the fees. And two, because I wanted to learn the process. I wanted to get to know the property better know the tenants better. And so that's how I figured I, I might as well do that and go for it. One of the books that helped me a lot that Early phase two was the, it's called the book on managing rental properties by Brandon Turner uh, you know bigger pockets book they have the book on rental properties and the book on managing rental properties so the, the managing one is the one that i kind of was going through that as we were going through the whole closing process on this property just like, can you know kind of learn and get some ideas of what to do i still like that book a, a lot for what it teaches there
3: you know what i feel like i have that book or I had it somewhere and then i never <laughs> read it it might be sitting on my bookshelf but any case like and it's funny because my three unit is like 15, 12 to 15 minutes away when there's no traffic and I still like don't want to go over there all the time. I just <laughs> like, oh, it's just yeah. out the way. I got to get in the car and move. The- I'm just so lazy when it comes to that especially in new york city and when parking is hard like if i have good a good oh, yeah. spot i do not want to move my car <laughs> unless like it's absolutely mandatory
1: yeah i don't go there often now and back then i would for anything now i've you know i've got people i can call if something needs to be fixed or whatever i only go there for new tenant move-ins and inspections but you know other than that i tried to not go there yeah <laughs> so- that's what
3: i was going to ask was how much time did that four unit take at the very beginning and did you have like any systems or anything that you helped make managing it easier so you could step away from having to go all the time? Yeah. Like at the beginning
1: part. So yes and no. The one thing I did, because initially the, the previous owner, you know, he was collecting the, the payments in person. Like he would just go there and get them. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that because if they're not home or whatever, I don't want to come back. So right away, I, I put two systems in place, you know, whatever's most convenient for those tenants. They can either, you know, pay online, I set up an account with e-rent payment. And so they can pay it online if they want to, which would also give them the option to report that to their, their credit bureaus to help improve their credit. Or if it's more convenient, they can just deposit it at a local bank. So set up a, an account at the bank, just, you know, down the road, where they can go in and it's it's a de- deposit only. Does not provide like a balance or anything. So they deposit that in there. And then and as soon as they make a deposit, I get an alert saying that you know funds are there, and I can go in and just transfer that to a different account right away. So, so that's the one thing I did. And then, but other than that, yeah, everything else I would be the one to come and clean them initially. Anyway, do some minor repair things you know, and so I did quite a bit hands-on initially. And I actually involved my kids that too, to help them to kind of, one, do some work. I'd pay them for it, of course. And I helped them kind of see that process. And then I still do, I guess, the, you know, new applications for a new vacancies an application. I'll go through all the whole checking process, but I still, of course, do a full background check and credit check on that all, all through uh, getting that e-rent payment. But that's really about it. I mean, everything else is pretty much straightforward. Luckily, I had Pretty good tenants to start with one of those initial ones you know five years later is still there and i tried to do a very thorough job up front of you know vetting new new tenants to put them in to make sure i don't have problems down the road and you know so far everything's been great i've never had to evict anybody never had anybody you know destroy the property or not pay so you know that, that one's going great for me
3: Nice. That's great. Okay. So you know what, because I kind of know some like the service level Mm -hmm. of your mission and who you are trying to help and the impact you're trying to create in people's lives. And I see a little bit of why that's some of your mission because of how financially you struggled at the very beginning until you got your footing and started getting, investing in real estate. And is that momentum started building, but Can you tell everyone kind of what's your mission? Like, what is your impetus for helping other people? What are you trying to accomplish with your investing that you're doing now and the opportunities Mm -hmm. that you're trying to get to people and kind of how did that arise from what you were doing before?
1: Yeah. So that's kind of, I guess, multifaceted in, in a way. The way I was I was brought up, the way I was educated from my parents and, and you know, church, I've always had the desire or need to help people. You know, I, I'm not the type to see somebody, you know, common thing to say for New Yorkers, right? <laughs> see somebody getting bugged, you walk past, you keep going, you know, I'd probably be the one to stop and help and, you know, probably get hurt Love myself. But, but that's just you know, who I am, I guess. And so, you know, I like helping people. It makes me feel good. Part of that, you know, is going through my own struggles personally and other family members and friends that have, you know, gone through different things. Wanting to be in a position where I could help others has always been a, a goal for me in, in the end. You know, I I served a mission in Argentina for my church for a couple of years. And being there is where I really saw true poverty. Never before had I been, you know, in somebody's home that have dirt floors, no running water, and many people living in this smaller space. So from that point especially, you know, I've always wanted to find a way to, to go back and, and help the people there. My wife is from Paraguay as well. So, you know, we have a good connection with people in South America, of course, even here in the the States with the Hispanic community. And there was a time when we we lived in Omaha, Nebraska for a while and Actually, most of my life, I should say, but you know, I was involved there with with the the Boy Scouts and a scout master for for you know a group of Hispanic boys, and all of them, their families had, had immigrated to, to the U.S. And so I kind of took that on as more as a, of a role of not just being a traditional scout master, but more of like a, a mentor, trying to help these boys to to learn and see things in a different way. Of course, this is before I was myself involved with real estate investing, but just my my own personal financial goals at that point and. Trying to show them there's ways to improve their lives and and do better. I've always had this desire to just to, to give back and, and help others to to improve their own lives and achieve the things that maybe their parents couldn't or that they hope to be the first in their, you know, their generations of, of family to even have a, a college education or to be financially secure without debt or something like that. You know, so so there's many, many things that we wanted to to go back and and do and, and help people in, in many ways that we can.
3: Okay. Perfect. Now that you are more successful and have been, you know, really climbing that ladder within the real estate world. In what ways has that helped you either amplify what you've been able to provide or do for other people? Are there any programs or educational things or what have you been putting out there or doing to kind of guide people or give them opportunities for financial advancement?
1: So a a while ago, I'd say early 2019, I guess, Started a blog at that point about financial education, so it was kind of mainly geared towards, let's say, uh, teenagers, young adults. Well, at least when I when I first started, that that was the goal. It, it was more about personal finance education, help people make wise decisions to try to stay out of debt and then invest wisely, to set themselves up for a stronger financial future. And uh, actually, part of you know what led to that was I actually wrote a book. Uh, maybe a year or two before that, which I've not published yet. <laughs> but, I was going to
3: say I didn't know about yeah, your book. The whole point
1: of that book it was from you know my kids trying to get them to read the things I'm reading, listen to the podcast I listen to, and they're not interested. So it's like, well, if I write my own book, maybe that will force them to to read it. You know, <laughs> so I of course had them proofread it, so they've technically read it. Yeah, I've not gotten to the point of publishing it, but uh, as, as my goal still for this year, I want to get that book published. But because of that, kind of led to. You know, starting a blog it's like maybe I can reach more people through this. I can just do this financial blog and kind of help, you know, educate in a different way about that. So that's one thing I, I did and started. And I still maintain that. I'd say I'm not quite the level as I had planned to when I started it, but you know, I, when I get back to it here and there, I'll, I'll add on new posts to it. But I'd say we've been definitely blessed with, you know, more, I guess we'll say financial security or income through real estate investing now that has put us in a different position where we can do more to help people, you know, in, in particular at that point, you know, again, 2019, my mother was actually, she was going through a lot. She passed away at the end of that year, but, you know, we helped cover a lot of her expenses and bills that she was going through. And my wife's parents, again, in, in Perryway, their house was in a big, major disrepair, I'd say. And, you know, we were able to send, you know, a considerable amount of money to help them get their house re- repaired and fixed so it would be a uh, safe place for them and something we would not have been able to do uh, otherwise. And just, just recently, we, we just got back from a trip to visit her family just this last week. And we were able to do things that we probably could not have done otherwise with least without putting ourselves in the more debt, I guess. My, my wife's parents are luckily still still alive, but you know her, her father is, is not doing great in health. And while we're there, we, we purchased some burial plots for them. So they're ready and we'll be there when that time comes to so not have to have the family kind of, you know, figure out what to do. And that definitely was not, we'll say a cheap expense. You know, it it was still quite costly for there in particular. And so, you know, we were able to cover that expense and, and, you know, just, we, we do a lot still to help maintain her family, her parents, like some of their monthly needs for medical needs and things like that. something that we would not have been able to do otherwise. You know, and then outside of that, of course, you know, we often give to lots of charities and other causes that you know are, are dear to us. We have several goals of things that we plan to do at, at a later date, once we are, you know, in a much higher financial position to do different things to help, you know, the needy in our community and other communities around here in our area, but also around the, the world, talking about giving back to South America. One of my goals for, for a long time is, has been to find a way to even build a factory or a business, something down there that can actually provide jobs and income to the people there that can provide a true you know living wage that, that they can live off of and feed their families and, and not struggle like they are now. So that's one of our long-term goals is eventually to, to do that, potentially you know, even build homes and other things that could help the, the people there.
3: Yeah. The question that popped up in my head is That's one of the goals of a lot of people when they start, when they do build financial resources, they really want to be able to turn around, help friends and family, be that financial source for, like you said, like you were fixing their house, you were just giving where there was need, right? Mm -hmm. So I think something that a lot of people, especially, and that's probably in any community, but especially in minority communities where they're the first ones who have actually even gotten to that level right. that everyone is asking them for help because they're the successful ones now right mm-hmm. but then how can you still build wealth for your family and your future generations if you keep having to help the past generations but you can't just leave them out hanging to dry right right so how do you find that balance
1: yeah that's a great point for sure too and, and i actually i kind of saw this you know long ago when my father passed away in 2003 again my parents were not wealthy he did not have a, a huge life insurance account or anything, but uh, you know he had enough through his work or, or personal. You know, I think he gave a mom maybe like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that, which is again not a lot for life insurance. But I saw that happen with my mom. I almost immediately, you know, other family members or, or people would would ask her, it's like, oh, "Hey, I need some help. Could you help me?" And you know, of course, my mom, she'd help them, and she pretty much just gave it all away, <laughs> left her with pretty much nothing. Soon after. Of course, I told her, why'd you do that? Just tell them no. <laughs> you know, it's not gonna make much difference. But we've kind of been had that a bit, you know. Luckily, you know, my wife's parents never ask us for anything. First of all, you know, we do get some things from once in a while, some other family members that want us to help with different things. We first of all don't tell them our income is or what our financial position is. They just know, first of all, we live in the US. They might assume you're you're rich because you're in the US. <laughs> you know, so, um,
3: Very true. Everyone in the US <laughs> will be will be
0: rich.
1: <laughs> right. So So we don't tell them, of course, you know, what our capabilities are. Uh, Of course, they know that we're helping her parents and we send money once in a while for different things. But we try to put limits if, you know, one of her siblings, for example, some time ago asked us to pay for a laptop for her son to, to go to school. We're like, no, we're not paying for that. <laughs> That's not something he needs, you know? So they know that, you know, we're not just going to give them anything they ask for unless it's an actual need. Like, you know, they need to pay the utility bill to not have the, the electricity or water cut off. Okay. We'll help you with that this month, you know, small things like that, you know, so, and, and then just, you know, other gestures we'll send, you know, once in a while, if, like for, uh, you know, a birthday anniversary or something like that, we'll send some, some gifts when are we just down there now, our niece had her, your Kinsey, you know, birthday party. So, you know, we mm-hmm. of course did a special something for that, but yeah, so everybody's coming to you and asking for, for money all the time. First of all, you. You've got to learn to say no. Don't feel bad saying no and don't feel bad maybe helping a little bit. You know, if they're asking for X amount, say, I can give you this without giving them the full amount all the time. And you see this a lot of time with celebrities. You'll see like their whole entourage thing. It's basically like a gravy train. You got to put a, some limits on there and control it to, before it gets out of hand. Because once you start getting the habit, then they're going to expect it all the time. So it's really, it's best to early on kind of put those limits in place and tell them no. And, uh, you know, maybe judge based on the situation, what their actual needs are, if it's something that you can actually or something you actually need to help with or could help with, or they should figure out on their own. Because at the same time, you don't want somebody to be fully dependent on you for every problem that comes up. They need to be able to figure out their own problems and solutions and and find ways to resolve those issues for themselves and not count as you as their savior for everything.
3: Wow. Wow. (laughs) Because you know what, that was where my mind was going with it. And it's hard sometimes because you really, especially when people, they learn how to put on the puppy dog eyes and they have the face and because they can't see the way out and you're their only way out. But if you always say yes to saving them, like you said, you're actually debilitating them and Mm -hmm. making them not be able to use their brain use their other resources. Even if it's not a financial resource, there's other ways to figure things out and it, in the long term, it might hurt in the moment for them, but in the long term, it's going to make them stronger because you don't gain strength by just like walking around. Like you have to go to the gym and pick up weights and the heavier the weights, your bigger your muscles get. And like, even though that's a simple analogy, but that's very true for tough circumstances that people go through in life as well. Like, you know, the people who are like the best, Personal development kind of speakers and coaches have been through a lot in their lives. You know, like they've gone through, been drudged through the mud and back up, and they've learned how to crawl their way out. And that's why they're so insightful and so impactful when they're trying to give people advice or coaching people through the other problems because they've been there. Like they wouldn't be able to do that if they didn't go there first. So I love that. Like you gotta learn to say no, it's hard but you just got to make the decision on what is the actual need and what is something that they could actually figure out themselves. And it doesn't mean make you a bad or mean person. I think a lot of times people, you know, don't want to hurt somebody else's feelings, but a book that I'm reading right now actually it's unf yourself, but it's like, you're not responsible for other people's feelings. Or is it that book or is another book? I'm reading so many books, I'm getting them mixed together. But they basically say a lot of the same things anyway. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, you're just not responsible for other people's feelings because they're going to be mad if you do and mad at something else if you don't. So you can't always save that. That's great. Okay. All right. I'm just so caught up into that whole thought process. It's easy to say, hard to do. So you have to just practice it little by little. Practice saying No. I think you, everyone listening, your goal should be to say no to at least one person a day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like mentally put yourself in position. Like if you did not have the money or wealth that you have now, like if I was where I was five years ago, when I had, you know, all debt and no income, then would I have say yes or no at that point? I'd still say no, because <laughs> I don't have the way to you afford it. To so it. even myself, I try to not consider any, any income or wealth that comes to the real estate. I still consider, you know, this is what I make for my WT or whatever. And That's it. Nothing else. It's out of sight, out of mind. So I don't even consider that as additional income or whatever. So, you know, if I know of my mind, okay, well, we have to cover our own personal expenses. I don't have much extra for anything else. So I'm sorry. I can't help you.
3: Okay, guys, don't kill me, but I'm going to have to cut this episode short. This is too juicy and we need to do this in a part two. So stay tuned for the next episode that airs and you can hear the rest of our conversation.
2: Did you love this episode of Share the Wealth Show? Be sure to connect with Nicole by following her on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. If you picked up any of the gems that were dropped by today's guest, make sure you not only put them in your bag, but if you know of someone who would benefit from this information, don't keep it to yourself. Share the wealth and make sure to leave us a rating and review. We'll see you for next week's episode. Subscribe so you'll be notified.